Welcome to the show. This is the Hope Radio Podcast. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me, as always, my beautiful wife. Her name is... Actually, it's not always. Because what? one time I wasn't here. Really? Yeah. Why do you got to share that like that? I don't know. But I'm just Jen. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Hi. <laughs> Hi. How are you today? I'm doing good. You are doing good. It's a better day, right? I was in the middle of a cheer. What? I was in the middle of a cheer. Well, then do it. I'm doing good. Oh, I'm doing so good. Huh. How were you in the middle of a cheer when I did not hear any of that? I was thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Is this one of those times where I'm supposed to know what you're thinking? Yes. Oh, sorry. I let, you I let you down. Darn it. How you doing in the midst of this... Uh, crazy weather that we're having right now it's it's well i'm moving to hawaii what yeah i'm moving to hawaii when did this happen i'm just telling you now why are you moving to hawaii because i think it's safe there why because i think the covid is skipping hawaii why would it do that i don't know it is and it's got a beach and palm trees that dance in the breeze hawaii is very expensive I know, but I mean, what are you going to do? Hawaii or Alaska or Wyoming? You choose. Wyoming. No. <laughs> we're we're going to have a long distance relationship, I guess. What? Yeah. That's never happened before. I know, but. How's I, that going to work? I don't want to do Wyoming. Okay. So Alaska. I could probably do Alaska. Okay. Alaska it is. But I think Hawaii's better. Why not California? Because it's, it's dangerous here. <laughs> You can't, you can't leave your house. <laughs> As indicated by social media, since they are opening up the malls and restaurants tomorrow on yeah, Friday. That's what I hear. A whole bunch of mixed feelings on that. Said good day, Sacramento. Yeah. Some people are happy. Some people are sad. Some people are angry. Well, the whole world is going to, you know, come Judge. up to Placer County and go to the Galleria Mall, right? Yeah, Don't because you think that just the whole sounds Bay like coming the up? best thing to do. Good thing we live in the mountains. Good thing we live in the mountains yes avoiding mass peoples always Avoid we're pretty good at the social distancing thing are we yeah we're, we've been good at it before it even was a thing yeah we, we created the thing <laughs> <laughs> we were in social distancing training before social distancing was a yeah. thing like truthfully we used to live in like neighborhoods and it just got too much for us so we wanted to move where there's no people yeah, the worst is gated communities. Yeah, we don't do those. <laughs> no, thank you. Pass. Pass, pass. We like the mountains. We like the two acres. We like smelling like Tahoe. I yeah. guess we're really, really fortunate that we have we, that kind of an experience. Yeah. And when the, we walk outside of our house, like it's hard to see anybody else. Right. That's a blessing. But we love that. I mean, that's that's not how it always has been, but that's how it is now. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed, agreed. We moved on up to the mountains. Moving on up. To the mountains. To the top. See, you're singing too. I know. I don't do it very well. <laughs> I as thought it was great. As indicated by our car ride here this morning, you you look at me when I'm trying to see, the, I missed the lyrics. I missed the, the way the song was going. <laughs> you look at me. What was that? I was like, what was that? What'd you say? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, that was not pretty. <laughs> I still don't know what happened there. <laughs> uh, all right. All right. All right. Enough, enough, enough. Let's get into uh, joke time. Okay. I want to get into joke time. More jokes. Yeah. I actually am prepared this time. You are? Yes. Like you like made up your own joke? No. I. That's not my kind of prepared. Don't you know I make up all my jokes? No, you don't. <laughs> okay. You ready for mine or you want to go first? No, you go ahead. Ladies first. Go ahead. Lady, what? <laughs> Were you going to sing? No. Okay. Here we go. All right. We got to, we got to like, you know, compose ourselves. Okay. Okay. Are you ready to laugh? I've been ready for 30 seconds. Okay. What did the pickle say to his fans? What did the pickle say to his fans? I don't know. What did he say? I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> that one's cute. That one was cute. I, I like that one. I that have one cute jokes. Me, yeah. That one made me uh chuckle smile it made me laugh chuckle so i got a good one for you okay you ready mm -hmm. i knew i was marrying miss wright i just didn't know her first name was always <laughs> that's a very true joke 
<laughs> I knew I'd get you on that one. I knew I would get you on I that one. I just like one. hearing you say winner, that. Winner, <laughs> winner, chicken dinner. I won joke time. Admit it. You did win. Yes. Because I am always yes. right. Like the first time. No. Always. You only you only won because you finally admitted that I'm always right. No, that was a joke, Yay, silly. Winner, winner. Well, I'm excited because we've got a fantastic guest come on the show. I'm going to tell you all about him in a second. But you need to tell those that are listening. Yes. How they connect with us. Oh my gosh. There are so many ways to connect with us these days. Such as? Such as Facebook. We are on Hope Radio Podcast and also Instagram at the Hope Radio Podcast. Like and follow. And give us five stars Yeses. on iTunes. Yes, and a review. Yeah. Five star and a review. Nice yeah. words. Don't you like nice words when people say nice words about you? Yeah. It kind of lifts your spirit. Yeah, That's a way somebody can give us hope. If you, if someone's saying not nice words, how does that make you feel? They're not nice. <laughs> makes me feel sad. Yeah. You automatically are like, it we cannot me, be friends. Makes me want to cry. That not nice word up. came out of your mouth. Do I cry? Yeah, you do. How often? Um, You cry a lot. What? Yeah. No. Yes, you do. No. Oh my gosh. Really? Sean, you are the girl. What? And you cry a lot. You're just more emotional than me. I'm more black and white, cut and dry. Let's do it like rawr. And you're, yeah, because you're a Viking warrior think, princess I with an you, axe and a sword. I do. I think you have more feelings than I do. Really? Yeah. Do you think I'm nicer? Oh, yeah. Do you think I'm more compassionate? Oh, yeah. So I'm a better human? You probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, at least I'm a I got great you. human, but at I just I got think you that you, that. I, I definitely could work in that area. Awesome. Well, let's talk to some awesome, awesome people. I have one that I want to talk to right now. His name is Brian Falchuk. He is a best-selling author. Mm-hmm. He's a speaker and a life coach. He's uh, faced a lot of adversity in his life. He was a an obese child, mm-hmm. and now he runs marathons. Wow. So, like he totally changed his life and in addition to that uh, he and his wife really had to battle a debilitating uh, disease Lyme disease and his story about his wife what she dealt with what they were thinking at the time you know nobody was any help to them I think it's an inspiring story there's there's a there's an awesome a terrific message he actually has uh, his own podcast called oh, cool. do a day oh cool so check that out do a day and he's written several books one is do a day how to live a better life every day and then his second book is the 50 7500 solution build better relationships so I'm super excited to have him on the show yeah. shall we call him I think we should give him a call let's call him and get him online right now okay all right, so I've got Brian Falchuk on the line. Welcome to the show, Brian. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me on. Hey, you are so welcome. I understand that you're on the East Coast. Is that correct? I, I am, yes. My day is on the back half of, of uh, trying to get through everything that we're all dealing with, right? <laughs> As we all, I think that uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic in general has upset everyone's Life, And that's part of the reason why we're doing this show, to be a reservoir of hope for others, to be positive and uplifting, because there's enough negativity out there to go around. And so we want to be that positive energy force, that light. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to invite you on the show to talk about your experiences, your life. I know that you are a um, multiple-time TED Talk speaker. And so we're just super interested to hear what you've got to share about the subject of hope. I am too. I have to say kind of selfishly, and maybe this sounds bad to people, but I get a lot out of having these conversations and doing these shows, even for myself, you know, sometimes reconnecting with your own purpose and your story, even just talking about it. It's become a really valuable tool for me. So I love, you know, having conversations like this for my own sake, obviously, you know, help the listeners and everything too. But I think we all grow from reconnecting with what matters to us. You know, that's it's funny that you mentioned that because Jen and I actually said that we did not go into this Hope Radio podcast adventure truly understanding how much we would be uplifted in the process of sharing stories 
from other people. Like we did not really expect yeah. how much encouragement we were going to get. That's been a really unexpected blessing and a, a real huge positive for us. So I totally get what you're saying. You know, talking to people about storage of encouragement, etc. You can come in kind of having a blah day, and then the next thing you know, you're kind of skipping out the door, going, "Man, that was an awesome conversation. Yeah. That was a phenomenal yeah. human <laughs> I just talked to, and I'm excited to go That's take right. charge of my day." Yeah, and and. Obviously, this is how we have human connections right now, I and mean, we're not doing it in person. So, having these kind of deeper conversations, or even just listening in, you know, for for listeners, I'm, I consume podcasts like crazy, and I feel so much richer for those interactions. Even though I'm just sitting here with my ears, you know, <laughs> as as we all are. Yes, yes, for sure. I think any yeah. audiophile that either talks for a living, has done speaking for a living, or likes listening to other people talk. I mean, this is this is a, an ideal time because this is about the only way that you can communicate. Either that or Zoom. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I hear yeah. I hear the Zoom thing is kind of taken off. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, everything is. I mean, look, the fact that people's little kids know how to zoom and maybe have their own accounts now i think that's how you know it's taking hold my son told me today he's like dad i have a call at three i'm like you have a you're in elementary school what do you mean you have a call <laughs> great uh shall i book you on the calendar calendar you know yeah. just so just so uh, son, yeah. you know you're like five i understand but you, you got to fit me in between the teacher the two <laughs> teachers and i guess i got to talk to yeah. a counselor so dad i'll get you yeah. at three o'clock in the afternoon i got about 15 minutes how's that sound <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us about uh, you? You were speaking to me about your TED talk and one of your first TED talks that you did, and you felt like it was very, very appropriate for kind of today's environment—the environment of yeah. the pandemic. So, why don't you share with us a little bit more about that? Yeah, and I will say that that event is the reason why we're connected because I met Cornell Thomas there, and he connected the two or the three of us. It was a big event for me across a number of things, and meeting Cornell was certainly one of them. So I I shared my own personal journey and story and awakening, really, kind of rebirth in that TED Talk. And, and it's based on a book that I put out in 2017. That is my story. And, you know, like so many people, uh, I grew up with a lot of anxiety. And for me, it came from my parents getting divorced when I was really, really little. And again, that's, you know, like more than half of this country has that as part of their backstory, or maybe that's their current story and not their backstory. You know, it, it's not to say like my childhood was worse or harder than anyone else's. It's not, there's no comparison here. It's about what we experience in and of ourselves, and that shapes who we are. And for me, that was kind of a definitional thing as a very little kid feeling like things aren't going to be okay. You know, kids don't really get that, and they don't know how to verbalize it and talk through it. So it's not like, you know, at like four or five years old, I pulled my mother aside and was like, you know, well, I'm kind of struggling with some, some feelings I have about the current situation. No, you know, you, you don't know what it is. You act out. You look for other outlets and ways to feel comfort. Um, and for me, it was food. And, you know, that's a pretty common thing that a lot of people turn to. But I kept using it to try to, like, squelch the anxiety to fill that hole, that sense that things aren't okay. And like food's very comforting, but for a few minutes, you know, it doesn't, it's not like you eat a cheeseburger and you're good for the rest of your days. At some point soon, that emotional hunger you had continues to be unsatisfied and will speak up again. And so I went from being a smiley, skinny, active little kid to being, um, you know, I, I can say now with, uh, I've done like personal trainer certification and just, I'll get to this, but more of a health and wellness journey in my family. I was probably in the morbidly obese category from a pretty early age, maybe from like age seven or eight, but by age six, I was very clearly obese and not chubby. Um, you know, I, I shopped in the Husky section of the, the store, but that's a nice way of saying it. I was obese. And it got to a point in high school where I was a clear 100 pounds overweight at 14 years old. I think the last time I weighed myself, I don't think I know because it, it burned a hole in my brain. But uh, I weighed 248 pounds when I was 14 in eighth grade. And I, that's the last time I weighed myself until I lost weight because I couldn't be able to look at it. And that's not the highest I got to because I kept needing bigger and bigger pants. So I probably got into the 270s. And right now, this morning, I weighed 176.7, but he's counting, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're speaking uh, to you. a, 
a former fat kid myself, you know, like the reality of it is, right. is that I, my brother. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't, um, get up into those numbers, but I was certainly a chubbier kid and enough that I used to be teased, uh, by it. And I think that that's yeah. a, that's a, that's a challenge in and of itself. I mean, not only are you uncomfortable, but when you, especially in my generation, I'm, I'm 49, uh, almost 50. And so like kids were ruthless and I, and I don't think that they're not today. I just think that there's more compassion mm -hmm. today because I think that there's more societal awareness toward, you know, well, certain more of them are obese today. Yeah. 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 I exactly. Mean, the other piece of it is we, we were the standouts at that age. Like we're, we're pretty close in age. Like we were not the norm. Most of the kids were taking their shirts off and jumping in the lake or running around. And <laughs> we were the ones yeah. wheezing and, um, yeah, it was different back then. I think kids are, they can have more compassion and they can be far, far worse today. I mean, some of the bullying that goes on is mind boggling. Yeah. Um, Devastating. But it's also, it's a different context. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not to say it didn't hurt back then. It was just our sensitivity to things was different. You know, mm -hmm. kids are learning things. I mean, it's a whole other conversation we could have, but yeah. um, it, it was bad. There's no question about it. I mean, I remember... Uh, I was just talking to my wife about stress I feel before going on a run every single time I run. And, and I've done races. I've run a marathon. Like, I should be good at this point. But there was a moment in my childhood. I was at summer camp, and the counselors, there were like 250 kids in camp. We had a, a track meet as like one of the activities for the day. And the counselors got all the fattest kids in camp into um, an 80-yard run around the track. It was eight laps around this track we had. And it was a spectacle for all the other kids. I mean, that was the entertainment for the day is watching these super fat kids. It was like 108 degrees out, you know, 100% humidity. Like Maine in the summer is, is brutal during the day. And um, I passed out on the finish line. So I did finish. I had no idea what place I was in. But that was terrible. And I woke up in the lake because I had, you know, overheated to the point that I was unconscious. And the camp nurses had to rush me down to the lake and revive me. But I can tell you the faces of 250 kids plus a bunch of like 20-something-year-old camp counselors crowded around that track, pointing and looking and laughing. That's why I have anxiety before I go on fun. There's no question like that. You know, that was an indelible mark in me. Yeah. The, I mean, those are such formative years. Mm -hmm. It's like the events that happen, especially an event like that leaves that lasting yeah. permanent mark on your soul. Yeah. yeah that's horrible. Like I yeah. honestly think yeah. kids are just as bad now, like in, in the yeah. schools, in I, terms of ridicule horrible. and yeah. teasing and bullying. Yeah, and we've and, always been, we have four boys. And so we have always taught our kids, like if you ever see any bullying or people being mean, like, step in and be those people's friends and you know so it's it it's very sad i hear i hear a lot of stories so yeah i think for I, well for me i got teased enough in junior high that i think it was my eighth grade year probably yeah probably my eighth grade year i decided that i was going to stop eating yeah and i became like a bird I mean, I became anorexic. Mm -hmm. I would eat probably one meal a day if were, I ate you that. You were like selling your lunches. Yeah. You know, my mom would bake me a lunch and I would just give it away or sell it or, or whatever. I just, I, I did not want to be ridiculed yeah. any longer. And you shouldn't ever have to feel that way. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. But that's, that's a really powerful sign of just how much this cuts us down. I mean, to to transform yourself on a, you know, on the fly like that in such a dramatic and, and frankly dangerous way. Obviously you don't get that as a kid, but you know, eating disorders are, are very real. And I, I battled with bulimia, not, not through, uh, well, basically I was purging through very excessive exercise, but it's, it's real. You know, it creates all the wrong associations because food is about emotion. Now it's about feeling better or it's about the source of feeling worse. Yeah. And it's not supposed to be emotion. You know, and of course in society, like that's, we love food and it's at the center of events and it's a special thing and we celebrate with it and I get all that. But for a lot of us, it goes a step too far and, and it, it challenges our life. Yeah, I think, um, I think for me, it was easy for me because I wouldn't necessarily consider myself to be a foodie. Yeah. 
you know, like it's not, don't get me wrong. I mean, I love a great meal and I, and I love the way food tastes, but I don't, I'm not Jen, my <laughs> wife, she's a foodie. Like she, I love food so much. She, she wakes up thinking about it. She goes to bed thinking about it when we're laying in bed and she's flipping on her phone, looking at stuff. She is always looking at food. It's always Which food. is, which yeah. is, I think a problem because I work out just as much. So that could be like a total disorder as well. <laughs> You know, like I'm a runner and I have a Peloton bike and I lift weights. And so I try to counteract, counterbalance the eating and the working out. She always says that she exercises so she can eat. But when I'm 80 years old, I'm going to stop working out and I'm just going to eat. That's my, that's my plan. (laughs) That's her life goal. All right. Well, let's check in. Yeah. Yeah. We probably should. (laughs) Yeah. Well, up until this, this moment that we're going to get to in a second in 2011, I lost weight when I was 18. I lost 100 pounds and that's when I became bulimic. And I did a pretty good job keeping it up by just severely controlling my life. And, you know, like I stopped seeing my father uh, where like normally when we see him, it would be to go out for dinner or for lunch or whatever. And so like I stopped seeing him as much or I would see him at random times and he's like, why won't you and why can't we have dinner? Because, like, I don't want to eat in front of you and I don't want to be tempted. And I can't control what the restaurant's making, you know, versus, like, this can of vegetable soup that I'm going to eat for the day. Eventually, that breaks. And, you know, going into my 20s and then into my 30s, like, I slowly started putting the weight back on. I didn't look obese again. I just looked American. But the way I described (laughs) myself and what I thought. You have to travel the world to understand what America looks like. Yeah, I, I think unfortunately enough people out there, um, I've, I've traveled internationally a bit and people yeah. all seem to get that joke. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's not a point of pride, <laughs> let me tell you that. I would work out still, but it was like kind of a mindless thing and very much about the counterbalance to my eating. So I would describe myself as like, you know, a former fat guy who's trying not to be fat again. And like you think about, that's not really a way to describe your life. No. I go, hi, I'm Brian. I try not to be fat. Like, that's awesome. What do you do? And the reality is like the weight, you know, we're talking about weight and food and that, that's such a small piece of the puzzle. The food is, is not really what the issue is. The weight's not really the issue. Those are all side effects. The issue is the anxiety. The issue is the sense that things aren't okay. The issue is that I'm no longer helpless like I was as a little kid. So now I'm stepping in and doing everything. Like I've very much became a fixer to the point that I was uncomfortable if I wasn't the one fixing it. And that served me really well in my career. I became a management consultant and that's kind of like, that's what your job is. Go find problems and solve them or fix them, you know, fix the underlying issue before it erupts or take this thing that's fallen apart and put it back together. So in a sense, like I was rewarded for my anxiety and I'd be rewarded better if I was more anxious because I'd see more problems and jump in. So like what was going on here is just reinforcing those childhood uh, traumas or, or issues. So, yeah, you know, I didn't go excessively obese again, but I'm sure if I had been left to my own devices, I would have gained, you know, not just the 100 pounds back, but I'd be, you know, in my 50s or 60s with diabetes, you know, maybe with a cane, like any of the standard things that tend to happen to a lot of people. Yeah. You know, how many college athletes, you see them like bald and obese in their 40s and 50s and it's funny you know they're sitting there with a butt in their hand watching the game but they look disgusting like it's not that you compare them to where they were at that's where i was heading i didn't really like beer all that much but and and telling a story and saying sitting there with a wine cooler that just doesn't sound as good so we'll say it was beer but um (laughs) (laughs) reminds reminds me of my mom my mom my mom will like this reference but you know when i was 18 or something like that she she found a whole bunch of wine coolers under my bed or 19. Or 20, I can't even remember what <laughs> age like I was. like Bartles and James or something? Yeah, it was, you know, like I could not stand the taste of beer. And I had not graduated yeah. to anything harder than that. But, man, wine coolers, that I, I could do those. That That's what I could I could flavor up those. <laughs> yeah, they're yummy. Yeah, you like soda. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, Sean, I think we're, we're far more connected than either of us realize. Yeah, exactly. Um, and maybe Cornell's regretting connecting us now. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> But it's, it's this anxiety. So like, that's really what my issue is. And while it made me good at my job, it didn't make me great to be around. You know, like I was very reactionary. You know, I would like hold things that people did against them or, or feel like they had wronged me and carry that forever. If I messed up, like I would just, uh, I would expect everyone's trying to take me out because of that. 
and uh, and so I would be you know much more defensive. And that extended to my personal life as well. You know, like my siblings, my parents, my wife, like somehow through all this terribleness, I was able to convince someone to marry me. And uh, so, you know, like my wife's having to deal with this too. So it it ends up, you know, I mentioned 2011, I was 32 years old. My wife and I uh, had become parents a couple of years before that or a few years before that. So our son was like two and a half and my wife got really, really sick. It started in, in the spring, and by the end of June, June 30th, she was bedridden and had wasted away to like 102 pounds, and um, every day was getting worse than the day before. And I, I always reflect on saying that because I also remember distinctly each day this very strong sense of like, this is the bottom. Like, it can't, it's so bad, it's not going to get worse. She's in so much pain or so many things are wrong. Like, And then you wake up the next day with this hope, like, oh, maybe she had a good night's sleep. Maybe today is when we turn the corner. And it's worse, and you're like, wow, what's less than zero? You know, how do you keep getting negative? This doesn't make any sense. So she was losing two pounds a day, and no one knew what it was. No one could help her. You know, the doctors were sort of just blaming her for it. Like, oh, you sure you're not just depressed? Like, well, of course she's depressed. How would you feel if this was going on? It really wasn't helping. And to be fair, I wasn't wired to stand by her the way she needed me to. So, you know, when she would be having her own anxiety about this, understandably, then my response is not like, oh, wow, that's going to be really hard. It's like, well, you got to do this. You got to do that. And the doctor said, try this. And, you know, it's like jumping on fixing it. And she's like, I just want someone to hear me and put their arm around me and just comfort me for a moment and not try to kick me into gear. That's a classic man mistake. You know, I think that we're wired to fix things. And, um, you know, like we hear, and it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of conversations with with husband and wives to get past that. But, like, I'm a fixer, too. You know, like Jen will attest to this. Like, I just always... You know, want want to solve the. She comes to me with something, and I'm I'm hardwired to solve the problem. You know, whereas she just may want to yeah. vent. She may just want to talk about it. You know, yeah. you know that's that's where you got to yeah. ask those clarifying questions. Is this one of those times where you're looking for me to solve the problem for you, or you just want me to tell or want me to listen to what the problem is? Yeah. <laughs> and funny enough, I mean, one of the things that I've learned is sometimes you know I was always so afraid to validate the fear or validate the current position because then it's too real versus, you know, try to redirect and fix. And what I learned is actually like pausing and validating and not offering any solution. Oftentimes that makes the problem go away because then, you know, that piece of your brain that's like you're in danger and no one listens, no one even gets it is now told like, Oh, someone's listening. And then the fear response turns down and then the issue runs its course and you're just, better able to deal with it and it's okay but when i would try to force the solution i was just amping everything up and telling you know her her sort of lizard brain or prehistoric brain that's like you're in trouble get help i was telling that part of her brain like he's not hearing you you need to get more worked up right now because he doesn't get it so i was just making it worse by trying to fix it and that's i'm not going to say i'm fixed i'm not going to say i'm done being better now but i'm much more aware of it and able to respond differently much of the time, but I'm not going to be ignorant enough to claim that I'm perfect now. This was the context. And in all these moments throughout my life when I was like, oh my God, this is the end. You know, I'll never get like this exam is going to be too hard. I'm going to fail this paper or, you know, this person dumped me. And what am I going to, like all these moments when it seems like the sky is falling and it's the end. It it never was. You never seem to get that. Like the fact that you're still standing means you've always been wrong when you feared the worst. But this was a little bit different. You know, now it really does look like that. And I think even outsiders are able to bring validity to that feeling. And um, now instead of starting a family, which is what we thought we were doing, it was sort of the point where we would think about having kid number two. I'm now very seriously looking at being a widower with a two-year-old. And that's, you know, that like aside from my own need to fix it, like I'm freaked out at um that was incredibly hard for me as well. But then her doctor called on June 30th at like four something in the afternoon to tell me he was going on vacation for six weeks and there's nothing else to be done. And he'll check back in when he's back. And I Are said, you kidding uh, me? That's what he said? Oh, it, it gets better. Then uh, I said, doctor, she's losing two pounds a day. 
she's not going to be here in six weeks. Right? Like I remember distinctly saying that to him and I kind of couldn't believe myself for saying that because I hadn't openly admitted what my fear was that she wasn't going to survive. And he just goes, okay, we'll take her to the ER if you need to. Good luck. And he hung up. Wow. We are no longer patients of his, I should say. And I do want to say my wife is actually still alive. That's not at all what it looked like. That's certainly not what her, her healthcare providers thought. And as reactionary and as like sky falling as I can be, I'm actually a fairly hopeful person. I tend to see that we'll get through things. And I was completely wiped out on this one. And I got off that call and had to walk back into my bedroom where my wife is in bed and our kid is at the foot of the bed looking at his mother, essentially watching her die in front of his eyes. When I walked in, he turned and looked at me, and that was it. Like, when his eyes hit mine, that's when everything just kind of all came together once and hit me in the face. It's like, you know, the gravity of what's going on and the personal responsibility for my own issues and my behavior and how I was, or more accurately, was not helping the situation. Like I was doing everything, you know, cooking and cleaning. And I, I worked for a British company, so I was using the time zones to my advantage. And our son was still really young, so he was taking a couple of naps a day. So, like, you know, I was kind of making everything work logistically. But going back to how I wasn't standing by my wife in the way she needed me to be, that's not helping her get through this. And I was doing the same to my son. You know, like, Daddy, read me a story. No, I've got all this stuff to do. You know, i got to cook and clean and work and blah, blah, like giving him the sense that things aren't going to be okay. That's just, that can't go on. Like I can't continue to ignore my inability to cope with things and to be there for the people I care most about. If there's going to be any hope of her making it or the thing that really hit me was like this little boy who I love more than anything. I just want him to be happy in life. And this is about as definitional of a moment as any child can have. You're losing your, your parent, especially your mom. Um, no offense to dads, but like stay at home mother who's there with him 24 seven, that's going to wreck him. And if I'm the only parent he has left, what shock does he have at happiness with me being like this? And that was enough for me. So that was the moment that everything in my life changed and changed for good. And that's when this idea that I call do a day was born because that's when I started to live my life extremely differently. And more importantly, I had the tools basically thrust upon me to figure out how to do that. What does do a day represent? So tell us more about how this turn came about. Like, how do you go from living life one way to miraculously, yeah. in an instant, changing basically the, the DNA makeup of how you did life yeah. differently? Yeah. What was missing for me, and I mean, this goes right back to kind of the opening conversation we had about reconnecting with your purpose. I had never, and this sounds wild to me now, but I think it's really common. I never actually stopped to think about what matters to me and what I care about and what I actually want in life. I don't mean in a particular moment, like I want that thing or I wish I had more money or I wish this or wish that, but really how do I want to live in life and what actually, like what matters to me above everything else, no matter what else is happening. And it was really that sense was thrust upon me when my son's eyes hit mine because that's, you know, like that's, that's the embodiment of the most important thing to me. I knew that was different from how I had ever felt before in my life. And I recognized like, this is a lifeline. And if I don't grab it this time, then I'm done and he's done and she's done. So I do need to not just recognize like, Oh, this feels different. And you know, three days later it's fizzled but actually do something with it. And that's, that's what I chose to do. So I, I spent time really thinking about these feelings and asking, like I kept digging deeper. It's like, you know, why does this feel so different? What was it about that sense when he looked at me that kind of knocked me? And why did that matter to me? And what, and so I felt a lot of failure of, of my wife and my son. And I wasn't quite yet ready to realize that I was failing myself because I didn't love myself enough to even think that that would matter. Like, I don't get to feel like I failed myself because I'm not important. So if, if I if I fail myself, like, I either I deserve it or, oh, well, it's just a casualty of war. I don't feel that way today, but that took me a few years to get enough comfort with the value of myself 
and recognizing like I can't really do anything for anybody else if I'm not even doing for myself or don't care about me. So those are the kinds of feelings that began in that moment. And as I fostered them and thought about them, and I can be pretty introspective. And that's really what it boiled down to is just spending the time to think about those things. And, and each of the layers that I got to, I felt a lot of power from it. I felt a lot of focus and purpose and I like it was pushing me. And so I, the lifeline I talk about is really using that sense of what matters and putting it into specific actions to turn things around. So there were things that were front and center for me that had to change if I was going to be better for myself and for those around me. And the most important one was one I had been fighting for years. My wife had been telling me like, you really should talk to someone about your parents' divorce or about, you know, your anxiety or the, the way that you're reacting to things and always, you know, thinking things are going wrong and you have to step in or it's just going to get worse. And of course, like, in ex- like exactly why I needed to talk to someone, I used all that to explain why I couldn't. I'm too busy, the money, how am I going to make all these appointments work with my schedule? Or you don't understand, like, this is a good thing because look how independent I am. And I had every excuse in the book. And what I realized in that moment is I can't keep making excuses. Like I do have to go talk to someone. But what was different was, it was very similar to the weight loss journey. I'd always thought about like, I think about going to talk to a therapist or something. And I start thinking about the logistics of 20 or 30 appointments or 100 appointments or whatever it is. And that's just too much. Like, how do you make that work? And I don't know if you'll be traveling that week for work or, you know, there'll be something going on with their son or whatever. Like, how do I know if I can do all this? And I'll be busy and whatever other excuses. And here, like, I had even more demands on me and even less of an ability to to get away from the house because, you know, not only did my son need me, my wife needs me too, and I, she can't take care of him. So what am I supposed to do now? But I, what I realized is, like, I can find a way to make one hour work because that's all I need to do, you know, plus a little bit of commute time. But, like, one appointment is all I need to make work right now. And if that's good, then I will make the second one work when I get to it. But that's not happening right now. So why am I making a decision about the right now based on potentialities about tomorrow? I totally understand that. Like you, it can be so overwhelming to imagine how big or large something is or how much it consumes your time or how expensive because you imagine what kind of a commitment it's going to take. I I think about weight loss. I think about an exercise journey. You just imagine like sometimes it's just so unfathomable to get up and exercise because you know you got to get through the first two weeks of hell, you know, before you start to feel better and or whatever. And it just doesn't, you you know, it just doesn't, it it seems unfathomable to be able to have enough energy to to deal with that. And I think that's what you're talking about versus just one small step. Just one thing, just like, I'm going to break it down. I can just, I can spare an hour in the next two days. That's what I'm going to focus on. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, the, the weight loss is, is a perfect analogy. A, because a lot of us understand it, but B, because it, it's really, it's really plain and simple. Like you, you know, you go through those two weeks, you bust your hump. And in the first two weeks, you'll probably lose more per week than you will any other week. So you go, you know, you go full in and you're just, you're burnt. And then you get on the scale. And instead of 100 pounds, it says you have 88 pounds to lose or, you know, 93 or whatever it is. And you're like, are you kidding me? All that. And I'm still like barely 10% of the way in. And so much of my weight loss journey was that the number of years that I started to lose the weight and would get to like halfway through the day or maybe a couple of days in and basically be in the same spot is so daunting. And you think about, you know, talking to someone about emotional issues or anxiety, that's not a once and done thing. So it's like, well, how long is this going to go on for? Can I actually do it? It's too, the mountain is always too big, but it hit me. It's like, I didn't lose a hundred pounds in a day. I didn't, you know, I've climbed a bunch of mountains. I didn't climb to the top in one step. And so what sort of hit me is like, you have to, you have to see where you're going. You need to know where the summit is. You need to know what the scale should read or where the end of the marathon is or, whatever it is you're trying to face. So have a goal that is where you want your life to be, where that aspect is your life to get to. But just recognize you're not doing everything today. All you do today is 
what you need to do towards that goal in this day. And it doesn't matter if yesterday's attempts went well or went poorly. You don't get to bank extra. And a lot of us, you know, going back to the runner analogy, it's like, oh, I ran for an hour so I can have this kind of Ben and Jerry's. Like, it actually has nothing to do with, like, one thing has nothing to do with the other. So don't, like, start giving yourself, like, checks and balances or, or credits and debits here. If you did well yesterday, that's great. You can do well today also. Isn't that better? Then like, yeah. oh, let me slack off today because I have a little extra. Or I screwed up yesterday. And this was my weight loss journey for years. I had this like pep talk with myself almost every morning about how today is going to be the day. And then like 10 o'clock ro- rolls around in high school and that's break time. And I would like catch myself halfway through like a second bagel and be like, oh man, you threw it all away. You're such a failure. And so it's like, well, I already failed. I might as well you know, go have a donut and then like have like three portions at lunch and cause they threw it away. Right. Well, my so many people I'm, I coach, like they're doing great, you know, go to the, go to the bar for like someone's birthday or something and have like that plate of nachos. And then they run home and have like two pizzas and a, a cake. He's like, Oh my God, I ruined everything. Well, I know, you I know, know my wife, now, can, but I know my wife can sympathize because uh, the reality of it is, is that if she, she, she has this mental mindset, if she does not start, the week off right on a Monday, then the whole week is toast. Yeah. It's not. It's like it's not like she can have a bad day Monday and then like go Tuesday and like be okay, or have yeah. you know good day yeah. Monday Tuesday and then have a bad day Wednesday and then pick up like she. No. she I got to be all in. Yeah, I got to start on Monday. It's it's it's, yeah. it's it's the mental. She has to have <laughs> yeah. everything the right way. Otherwise, it's and yeah. me. I could like I could screw up Monday and go well. I'll be kind to myself today. Tomorrow's Tuesday. I'll just start tomorrow. And like, I can be fine. Like I don't, I don't compound it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, and I I get that. And that's, you know, that's, that's the deal for a lot of us. And what I would say is it's about changing the time span. There's no writing it off. There's learning. So if you didn't do what you could or should have done, learn from that and understand why you did that. Maybe, you know, that person went to the bar and had the nachos because you know what, they were feeling really isolated and, cut off and actually made a decision that like this social interaction will give me something that I need. And so I'm going to do that recognizing that it means, you know, I've lost 11 pounds. Maybe that changes to 10 and that's the trade off, but make that decision consciously and recognize you still have a journey and there's still things you can do in the next day. And so when tomorrow comes, it's not that you're like, Oh, new day, everything's fine now. It doesn't matter. Or, you know, you, you throw it away or you beat yourself up. Yeah. None of those things needs to happen right now. You can still do. And, and so that's kind of how I say it's like you get up every day and you do what you need to do in pursuit of your goals without any of this past. It's like yesterday's not happening. It doesn't matter good or bad. It doesn't matter if, you know, this person wronged you or you missed this thing or you failed or whatever. Cause none of that's happening except for the emotion you're carrying into today. So that is your choice. Even though it's hard, that's your choice to bring that in. So don't don't let today cloud yesterday, sorry, cloud your ability to make today better. But by the same token, it's all the tomorrows. And that's back to what we were saying before. It's all the additional pounds, all the therapist visits, all the dollars you have to save, all the whatever. And each one of us is facing that right now. All this uncertainty, when am I going to get back to work? Will I get back to work? Will I be able to pay my bills? I'm not trying to freak people out. These are all the thoughts we're having, right? I'm self-employed. I speak publicly. When, you know, when will conferences be happening again so I can support my family? Will I be able to travel? Like it's a real thing that we all go through. And the thing is none of those conferences are never happening ever again. Moments is happening right now. Right now there aren't any conferences going on in person. Yeah, there's virtual ones, but like, I don't need to worry about whether or not this will change because it's not, not changing right now. Right now, I'm facing a specific set of things with specific actions I can take that will put me and my family in a better place or my health or whatever the issue is that you're facing. That's the only thing that's going on. There's nothing from tomorrow happening right now and nothing from yesterday except for your emotion about them. Thing to focus on, on right now is what allows you to exit. So is that, is that what do a day means? Just do today. That like is what do a day means. on... Yeah today. Don't worry about yesterday. Don't worry about tomorrow. Do a day. Do today. 
Yeah, yeah. The measure of time is almost irrelevant. It's really about mindfulness. So it's about in this present moment that faces you right now with every decision you have. Do you eat that thing? Do you do the exercise? Do you put in, you know, the effort on the job? Do you react differently to that person who's yelling or being difficult right now? Whatever it is that you face in this moment, the way that you act in the moment, is that going to move you towards your goals or backwards? You can always do what you need to do to move forward on your goals and have the sum total of that forward movement, like add up all those wins and you will change your life dramatically in far less time than you thought. And all those potentialities you feared may not even come to pass because of the choices you made in each of those present moments. Yes. That's really life altering for a guy who lived with this constant, like looking out on the horizon and those storm clouds that were about to strike me with lightning. This is night and day. And what we're living through right now is absolutely the time that it's not just us former fat guys or people with anxiety. It's everybody. It's everybody. And I don't care which side of the, you know, should we be shut down or not equation you fall on. We've all got anxiety and we all have fears and uncertainty in this present moment. So I have to ask, because I know our listeners and I know my wife is going to be asking me, we have to know what was wrong with your wife? So my wife has chronic Lyme disease, which for some reason that is far beyond the two of us is not accepted by Western medicine. And I just don't get it because you can test for it. You can observe all the symptoms and being in the community that we're in from a, you know, the, the Lyme community that we've become a part of, it's all over the place. And I don't know why denying it and shaming the people who have it is an acceptable answer for it. Science is about observation. And when you observe people who have all the symptoms of Lyme and test positive for it, telling them it's in their head or, you know, it's, it's nothing or they're crazy or that doesn't exist, that I don't understand that mentality. But that is our history. I mean, it wasn't that long ago in the history of humankind that we treated everything with leeches, you know, and the earth was revolved around by this glowing orb of the sun and it was flat. So I think this is one of those things that in time there will be a shift. But, um, that's why it was so hard for her to get help because it took a lot of time to find doctors who were open enough to what was going on and to at least, you know, be willing to entertain that it was Lyme. And it's her, it's not something that goes away. Lyme disease, I mean, that the only way that I know about that is I think we have a place down in Mexico and we have a friend down there that suffered from Lyme disease. And I know it was very debilitating for him, energy sucker, you know, couldn't, didn't want to eat, couldn't yeah. eat, you know. Like, well, I don't, I guess I didn't, I wasn't aware that there was a stigma about it or an, an issue with it with Western medicine. So maybe you could yeah. just take a moment to expand on that a little bit more. I didn't yeah. know that was a thing. The chronic version of it, that is like, it's ongoing. That's where the issue lies. So the idea that you can get bitten by a tick and get Lyme disease and you have a bullseye and they see it and they give you doxycycline for at least two weeks, maybe more. That's pretty common. And even that's, tough like we know people who have come in with the tick and the bullseye and the doctors are still like nah it's not Lyme disease or it's the wrong kind of tick and and or they're like it was only in for 18 hours and it has to be at least 24 hours like last I checked ticks don't wear watches and it's not like they're sitting there waiting like 23 hours 59 okay 60 good okay now I'm going to inject the Lyme disease into you so I just you know I'm not a scientist so what do I know but that doesn't seem very rational or logical to me so it can be hard to get help even in the most blatant cases. But the standard idea behind it is you get a tick bite, you have the symptoms, you get treated with oxy, and you're good. And if it's you're still having symptoms later, well, maybe you just needed more doxy, so we'll give you another round. Or you're crazy. It's in your head. It's fibromyalgia. It's Which, by the way, fibromyalgia is not a thing. Fibromyalgia is a confluence of... I think you have to have uh, at least nine of 14 symptoms, but there's no like, oh, we see the bug in you or we, you know, you test positive. It's about symptoms. So in Lyme disease, it has a lot of the same symptoms. And by the way, so does MS. MS is also a series of symptoms. It's not a thing that you see like Parkinson's where, you know, you can actually see what's going on in the brain or strep. You know, you can culture for it and test. You can do that with Lyme. It's a very strange thing to me that when people exhibit Lyme symptoms long over long periods of time and they've had a tick bite or they live in tick-heavy areas, like my wife's from Long Island and then they moved to Vermont and like 
they're very outdoorsy. Ticks are on you all the time. Like, she, you know, you walk through these bushes and you come out and your legs are covered. Like, that's really common. So it's not far-fetched. And she got sick after she and my son were playing in the leaves. Like, we were raking leaves and that's like a nice New England activity. And she got bitten in the back of her head and she got it out. But that seemed to reinfect her. And, and the test she had done actually shows the timing of the infections. And there was a long-term one. And then there was one more recent. And that, that coincided with this bite that happened in October. So the notion is like you get treated and you get over it. And if there's something else, then sorry, it's not real. I don't understand that. And not yeah. every doctor thinks that way, but that is the accepted view. That's what the CDC talks about. There's a Lyme center at one of their great hospitals here in Boston. And on their webpage, it says front and center, if you believe you have chronic Lyme, that is not a legitimate diagnosis. I don't know if you use the term legitimate, but it's something like that. And you should not seek treatment here. Like right on their homepage. That's ridiculous. Your place people are supposed to go for help with Lyme. Before they've even come in, you told them that they're crazy. That's not great. Right. I remember um, Leopoldo in Mexico when he was diagnosed, like the hospitals there wouldn't touch him. So that's why he was, you know, asking us for information on alternative medication, essential oils. Mm. And so he actually traveled to Mexico City to go to like the Young Living Essential Oil facility and just banged mm. on the door to get help. And they actually helped him. Wow. So yeah, I mean, they, weren't they, weren't they yeah. doing some sort of an infusion with uh, frankincense and some other oils yeah, something. and something? You know, like I don't, I don't remember exactly the treatment him, protocol, so. but yeah, I remember, I remember seeing yeah. him the next year, and like he, he looked well, so much they, better. Yeah, and they wouldn't help him at the regular yeah. hospital. So it, he was so debilitated, like mm-hmm. it was so yeah. no energy, mm-hmm. no. It was scary. No we, we thought he was and, gonna pass away, like he, same as your wife, like just kept yeah. losing weight every yeah. time we saw him. We're like, oh my gosh, what is wrong? You know, and they couldn't, you know, yeah. he couldn't get help. So I was like, that's that's frustrating, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, it is. And, and um, it doesn't have to be that way. And no. it's, it's really tricky. So she, you know, people have shamed her. I mean, like, you should just take the antibiotics. That's your problem. It's like, so she's very chemically sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, so that creates some limitations in what she can take. But she did go on antimalarials, which is one of the more potent paths you can take for, for Lyme disease. And her organs started to shut down. So she had put on a little bit of weight again. Her doctor's like, okay, you're stable enough. So we're going to hit it really hard from an antibiotic standpoint. And I think the copay was like over 800 bucks that month for all of, you know, for the cocktail. I had good insurance at the time. Like it was, it was, it was bad. And after about 10 days, she had to come off of of the whole treatment because she was jaundiced. Her organs were shutting down and doctors like, you can't do this. So she ended up doing an herbal protocol for a couple of years. She's altered her diet really dramatically. And it's still present. It's, you know, it, it rears its head. Lyme is a very up and down and inconsistent thing. There's a huge spectrum of symptoms and different ones rear their head on different days. And one of the hardest things is that's how it all started. So you never know, is this just, you know, I tell people it's like having, um, having an unreliable car, you know, it's making that noise again. And you're kind of like, oh, you know, do I just ignore it or deal with it? Or am I going to get where I'm going? Or, you know, is the whole thing going to be, going to, you know, break down and, and the car's going to get scrapped? Like, only the car's your body. So on a daily basis, that's what you're stuck with. But wow. she's not dying now. And that's like, you know, people are like, I don't know how you guys live so restrictively. Well, you know what? Live is the operative yeah. word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we don't think about it. Like, it's not even a, it's not even an issue for us. Like, we bring food with us when we go stay at our parents or my, you know, my mother's or whatever. We just don't think twice about it. This is what we do, and we kind of like her being alive. So you know that's okay. <laughs> and like we'll, alive, we'll bring our own food. Alive you know? and and uh, thriving. Alive and healthy. Alive and having a good quality yeah. of life. And helping you know? other people. Yeah. yeah. So she's she's become a functional medicine health coach, specifically focused on these hard to diagnose and hard to find help for uh, chronic illnesses like Lyme. She's absolutely. She's like you know, if there was a reason why I needed to go through this to help other people so you know i she's the strongest person i know and she doesn't she doesn't uh, feel that way about herself or believe me she thinks i want something if i say that but like (laughs) it's true um it is true i did not save her life she saved her life and that takes unbelievable power yes yes it does and i couldn't agree more and so i mean been given that you've overcome and been through what you've been through i mean i could i could find 
I can imagine that those times where she was sick and you weren't sure if she was going to make it or not, the, the feelings of despair, anxiety there, the fact that yeah. you overcame your obesity as a kid, you know, like what, what do you have to share to people that are listening now that are anxious now because of COVID? They're anxious about their job. They're anxious about their income. They're anxious about possibly losing their house or not. Or, I mean, there's certainly yeah. people that are in that category. What would you say to yeah. them now, given what you've been through? Been through and, and going through and just going through with tools is the difference today. There's a starting point of recognition that I mentioned before, and that's this is probably not the first time you've felt yourself you know, in danger or at risk. And what you need to ask yourself is, are you still standing? And the answer is obviously yes. So the fact that you're still standing, just pause on that for a moment and recognize your own resilience and capability and power because you have gotten through literally everything you've ever faced before. So that doesn't mean this is going to be easy or it's not happening or any of that, but just a starting place of recognition of your own capability is a great place to start. And then what you need to do in each of these moments, and I'm raising my hand because I have to do this too, is just when you're being hit with it, just ask yourself, okay, is that happening right now? And if the answer is yes, then you need to deal with it right now. But if the answer is no, and I don't mean the threat of it, but the actual thing, then the question is, since this isn't happening today, what is happening today that's tied to that that I can do something about? And yeah, it's kind of a fixer mentality, but it's about refocusing your energies and the things that are within your control and within the levers that are presently in front of you that you can pull so that you can take some steps that may make that thing irrelevant. And I'm very much in the midst of that as we all are. And I have been for years with everything that I've faced. Yeah, I've had a lot of success, but I've also had plenty of struggle since things have turned around and we still get through it. You know, my wife's health is still an issue and she has some pretty bad, bad flare ups. And this is a very high anxiety time for people with chronic illness. You know, early days in, in the COVID journey, it was like, you know, we don't need to worry about this unless you've got a chronic illness or a compromised immune system. This really isn't an issue. And we're like, hang on, that's us. You know, it's, it's her, but it's me and my son, too, because we're vectors for it. We could bring it into the house. And how do you feel then if you're the reason why, you know, this, this hits her? But I can't go through every second feeling like I just made her sick. So what can I do? Well, when I go to the grocery store, because I'm the one who makes those runs in our house, how am I protecting myself and my family? Not like, oh my God, we're going to get sick and we're all going to die. Well, what can I do right now? And, you know, in terms of, of income, like, okay, I had all these speaking engagements lined up, which is awesome. It's a really tough line of work. It's a momentum thing. You need to get out on stage to be able to get on stage and get more activity. I had all this stuff lined up and it all vanished instantly and none of them went virtual. So income potential was really high and went to zero. So what can I do now? I can't just never earn money again. So how can I start engaging with people? What's my network doing? Who are people I can talk to? What opportunities are there? What content can I put out? Those are all actions I can take in the present moment to try to help with the potentiality of losing our house or our ability to buy food or whatever happens. And, and taking but I action can't do that if I'm stuck in the worry. Taking action is so yeah. cathartic. You know, just doing something, yeah. moving in a direction, whether that direction is yeah. um, the ideal direction or whether it's the one with the most potential, but just doing something, taking action is so good for your soul and your spirit. Just deciding that, yeah, yeah. I can do something, whether it, you know, whether it's having a garage sale with all the crap that you got in the garage or, you know, getting rid of that storage unit or, you, you know, we've, we've got a, a friend of ours, um, really close friend of ours that just started this artistic side hustle thing. All of a sudden she's redoing these photos that people send her and, and creating kind of an abstract photo out of it. And, you know, she's gotten 50 orders. I mean, this was just a side hustle thing that she started like, you know, four yeah. weeks ago kind of thing. Like it's just taking yeah. action, doing yeah. something. Yeah. And those are things in the right now. Yes. So that wasn't like, how am I going to sell a million of these? Or, you know, how I'm never going to be able to do this again if I lose my house or, or whatever. It's like, well, right now I can make one of these and I can show it to people. 
I've had a, a course version of do a day that I shot the videos for like over a year ago and I've been too busy to do anything with them. I'm like, well, you know what? Actually, the only work is getting it on my website. I don't have to create anything. Let me do that. Cause that's something I can do right now that may help with my income down the road. And more importantly, like it could help people take in the content and get through what they're facing right now. But if I was like, what if no one buys it? And, and then what am I going to, it's like, okay, well, no one's not buying it right now. You know? <laughs> but, yeah. You but can feel that so often. Yeah. You can overanalyze it and then make yourself shut down from yeah. doing it just because of all of the, the potential negative or the amount of work that it, yeah. that it takes or, Whatever. I mean, I, I get that. I see that. I, I, but I do think that there is something so primal about movement, about action, about, you know, just taking a step forward. It doesn't have to be the whole marathon. It just is the step. It's the step forward. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Brian. I mean, you're, you're, I, I love your, enthusiasm. I love your grit. I feel like you're somebody that has been through the fire and has come out the other side stronger and more capable after having done so. I think that your message um, about, you know, kind of distilling down and breaking down kind of your purpose in life or what direction you want to go into a small manageable step that you can do today. Don't worry about yesterday. Don't worry about tomorrow. Focus your attention on today and do today. Do a day. I love that message. And I think that that message will resonate with our uh, listeners. So thank you very much for sharing and being vulnerable and talking about your life and your wife and your kids and, you know, your childhood, etc. I think that it is a chance for all of us to kind of reflect on maybe some stuff that's happened in our life long, long, long time ago that, that plays into how we're making decisions today. Wow, thanks for having me on, guys. It's great to connect with you. Yeah, thank you. Well, Jen, I learned a lot in that interview. Like, I've understood Lyme disease before, but, like, I didn't realize there was so much mystery or challenge in diagnosing it or understanding it or lack of support like he shared that that was something else to me to hear what his wife had gone through and um endured right and i mean they were sitting there facing her mortality really not knowing what's going on yeah, it's just losing a, two pounds a day yeah like the crazy just the weight drop and like mm -hmm. you just see like this is not going a a certain place and then have a doctor go, well, you know, good luck on that. I'm going on vacation for two weeks. Yeah. Like where's the compassion? There is none. No. Well, I'm, I'm glad Brian came on to share his story. Yeah. Uh, love the message of do a day, you know, like living with intention. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for Fo sure. Focusing on kind of like you do. I, I do think you I, I think you do a day. I, I think do you a do, day. <laughs> I think you live each day with intention. Yeah. Well, I write my whole day out before the day even starts. So I know what I want to do every day. Do you think day. that's the secret to your madness? Um it could be. I just called you mad and you didn't even know. Well, the Mad Hatter was mad. <laughs> 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 yes, yes, he was. Well, when you wake up at 345, I think you have to begin your day with intention. Yeah, I, I love planning my day. Like I love living in my day. Like how much can I cram into the day that I have? Because I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. Yeah. And yesterday's already happened. So let's just focus on what I can control today. Do a day. I agree. And for those that are listening that want to connect with uh, Brian and his message, get his book, um, either one, see his TED Talks, mm -hmm. connect with him, uh, book him for a speaking engagement, and et cetera. His name is Brian Falchuk, B-R-Y-A-N-F-A-L-C-H-U-K, brianfalchuk.com. You can uh, connect with him there. And uh, for us, you can connect with us on all of the digital media. You can connect with us on SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Alexa, Google Play, and Apple iTunes. Podcasts. iTunes. Yeah. Yeah, we're Hope Radio Podcast. Subscribe. Give us a listen. Give us a like. Write us a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. And if you know anybody that you think would be perfect for us to interview... Maybe it's you. Yes. Maybe it's you. We are always looking for more guests, yes. more people to come on the show, mm -hmm. more people with a hope story, a yeah. hope message. Yeah. Give us a call. DM us. 
That yes. means direct message for for <laughs> for those less the tech older, savvy, like your mother. Yeah, like my mom. She'd be like, "What does DM mean?" Uh, I, she would. Yeah, but we love her. We, we love her for that. We do. All right. So you ready for my uh, thought of the day? You want to do something funny first? What? Colby doesn't know how to do TikTok. See, what? that's what happens. Our 24-year-old doesn't know how to do yeah, TikTok? Yeah, he's like, I have to YouTube how to do TikTok. See, so the older starting. you get, like, you start to, like, not know the millennial cool things. Yes. So you got to stay in the loop. Well, here's and my... And... Jennifer. <laughs> we just officially learned what? a couple minutes ago what Netflix and chill means. Jennifer... I'm just saying, that's all I'm saying. You're not supposed to say that. I'd been saying that we spent the first week of quarantine, Netflix and chilling, without having any understanding of what Netflix and chilling actually means. That's what I'm saying. Is like, So what does it actually mean, Jennifer? Share with our audience. I think everyone should Google it. No. Yeah. You need to share it with our audience. What no. does it mean? Not sharing. Oh, now you're all clammed up. I you bring it up, but now you're all clammed up. There's a few things I don't up. talk about. That's politics. Sex and something else? Religion. Religion. Okay, oh, so I talk about religion. Sorry. What, so There's what, only two things. So what? which category does this fall into? The Netflix and chill? Is it politics or is it sex? You have to Google. It's a 50-50 <laughs> chance. <laughs> I know nothing really, anything about politics. Well, except I, guess, for I guess we Mickey got Mickey Mouse for president. I guess we got our answer. There you go. All right. Here's my thought of the day. Too often we underestimate the power of a touch. A smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have the potential to turn a life around. Leo Buscaglia. Aww. Right? Good Those way, are good, some good ones. Good way to end the show. Should we do this again? I think we should. Let's do it tomorrow. Okay. I vote for tomorrow. Bye.